Welcome to Iterate with Ashley. This one's for the rebels, for the rule breakers and risk takers, for the ones who aren't afraid to get a little bit dangerous. Because we're staging a jailbreak. We're breaking out of the prison. People-pleasing, perfectionism, and public opinion has held so many of us hostage in. And reclaiming the freedom and power that is rightfully ours. So we can get on with the business of being happy and free and doing our great work in the world. So if that's your jam, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Ashley Morgan. Welcome to the show. Hello, friend. Welcome back to the show. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. This is my second time, second time recording this podcast. And I don't actually believe in coincidences. So if something occurs, I believe that is just exactly what was supposed to occur. Like, no sense in fighting what is and, you know, just making it a big deal that uh, you are having to pivot and do things a little bit differently. And quite frankly, as the message was coming through the first time, I was like, man, this is so good. And that was hours ago. And so I feel as though because it's had time to marinate a little bit longer, like a good steak, this will be even better. I am your host, Ashley Morgan. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be here with you today. We are talking about resilience. We are talking about stepping into your power after divorce and releasing the victim narrative. And so let's jump into um, what got us here. Like, why are we having this conversation today? Why are we having this conversation right now? And uh, what I feel like is happening in the world that can um, that this particular conversation can be useful for. So we're going to jump in here. My one of my mentors, one of my business mentors, Sarah Dan. Uh, shout out to Sarah. She's amazing. 1010. Highly recommend if you are a female entrepreneur. She has a free Facebook group where she is dropping gems on the regular. Uh, and, you know, she conducts live trainings and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, and so anyhow, Sarah Dan was uh, teaching. She was doing a live last week. And she posed this question more so because it was something she had been asking herself and was giving us, uh, you know, those in her community an opportunity to kind of ponder the same thing. And the question was, what is the one word problem your business solves? And it got me thinking about what I solve, like the problem that I solve as an entrepreneur, as a life and leadership coach, like what do I actually do? And I knew instantly what the response was. And, and I was grateful, right? Because I'm like, wow, that feels so good as a business owner to be able to say, I know really clearly the problem that I solve for clients. Like that feels amazing. And so powerlessness is what came to me immediately. And the reason I find that this is valuable um, to kind of jump into right now is because um, I know for me in my life, whether it was being unfulfilled in my career and unwilling to go out and find a new job or find another opportunity or have a conversation with my boss or 
um, look at my work differently or do something differently in relation to my work. The issue was, was never the job. It was never the company. It was never the organization. It was always me, me feeling powerless to make some sort of a change. When I look at my relationship, uh, you know, with my ex-husband, uh, when I look at my weight and body stuff, when I look at, um, you know, just any circumstance in my life, happiness, joy, peace, fulfillment, like all of it goes back down to some scenario where I internally felt powerless, right? And so that's like my own life and my own personal transformation has been becoming someone who is like consistently stepping back into their power unlocking it, owning it, leveraging it like consistently over time. Right. And, and, and it's not, it's not static. It's not stationary. It's not a end point. Like it's not a destination that you arrive at. It is 100% cyclical, right? Because every season of life, if you're doing it right in my mind, asks of you something new and something different. And it's your opportunity to deepen your resolve, to dig uh, to dig deep, right? And, and to uncover and to anchor into greater and greater levels of your personal power. And power is so central to what I believe in because that is the foundation of, it's like, it's the foundation of everything. I call it being the mountain, right? Like it's, it's you being grounded and anchored and supported and sure and certain of who you are in the world and what you're capable of doing and being and creating. And that is like the foundation, really, truly for everything. And that's for me, right? And you're like, yeah, sure. My business is about the clients that it, you know, that it serves. And also it's about me first and foremost, because I got to go out there and do the dang thing. And so Also, I went and looked at 25 inquiries to work with me over the past three years. Um, Some I signed on, worked with as clients, coached them for one single session all the way through to, you know, six to nine months. And uh, in every single one of those inquiries, I would say maybe not every single one, but at least 95% of the inquiries included the words more confidence or said something about, you know, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, not trusting themselves, etc. All of which are kind of outgrowths of lacking confidence. And so right away, when she says, what's the one word problem in your business that you solve? I'm like powerlessness, because whether a client reaches out to me because they want to communicate with more confidence, which is something people reach out for. They want to negotiate more money in, you know, they want to renegotiate pay, renegotiate compensation. They want to go after a new job. They want to build their interview skills. They want to become a more effective leader and build a more thriving team. They want to set better like boundaries between work and life. They want to find greater levels of joy and peace and happiness in their life. And they know that they need to make some shifts and make some adjustments. They are recovering from burnout and they know, okay, yeah, I got to rest, but also I have to restructure my life. Like all of that takes a feeling of confidence, like a feeling of like, okay, I can do this. I have the capability of making this happen. And so I was like, okay, great. 
uh, <laughs> I'm seeing this now in a different light. Obviously, I've looked at these inquiries before. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, and I think in my one of my last podcasts, I talked about my annoyance with obsession, the societal obsession with feeling confident and how angry it sometimes makes me and annoyed, just like the whole conversation makes me. And instead of pushing it off, instead of like discounting it, instead of just like trying to bypass the feeling, I turned towards it, right? I turned towards this like kind of irrational, visceral reaction of annoyance and said, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What is like, what's going on here? And it occurred to me that I was so annoyed with it because I was like, oh, been there, done that. I've already learned this lesson. I've already got this thing figured out. And spoiler alert, you don't need to feel confident. (laughs) And because my journey took me through three years of chasing confidence, waiting to feel confident, and ultimately costing me time, and also costing me, I don't know, over $400,000 in earnings, neither of which, you know, the time or the money, and this is a story for another podcast, do I regret. I don't, I don't regret it at all. In fact, I'm so deeply grateful for it because it was, has been such a central like learning for me. Um, but b- because I had that experience of like waiting to feel confident and like chasing the feeling of confidence uh, and letting that kind of hold me back and keep me in a like proverbial timeout. Um, and now I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. OK, we don't really need that. And so when clients come to me and they're like, I want to feel more confident. And I'm like, OK, great. We can absolutely do that. But my goal is never to make them feel more, more confident. My goal is to help them see and tap into and recognize and own and and leverage their personal power. And power is about certainty. Power is about knowingness. Power is about conviction. Power is about evidence. Power is about facts. Power is about results, right? And so you can go into, I call it mining for gold. You can go into your lived experience and see all of the results that you have created up to a specific point right? If you walk yourself back through those experiences about how you got there, what you did in the midst of how you moved yourself to the other side, like that knowledge and that information, that's not something you have to grasp for. That's not something you have to fight for. It's not something you have to faith for. It's not something you have to believe for. It is just fact. Like my hair is black. Fact. Well, except for the parts that are a little bit gray. Uh, But I don't have to believe for my hair to be black, okay? It just is. Like, that's power. When I say my hair is black, I can say it with power because I am certain of the color of my hair, right? And I can be confident and feel the sensation, the bodily sensation of confidence of like, I can say this truthfully. I can say this honestly because... I have certainty and I have knowing. So when I hear, I really just want to feel more confident, I was like realizing, oh, people tell me that they want to feel more confident and I get annoyed because I'm like, oh, no, 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 you don't really need that. And they're like, no, but I want that. <laughs> and and again, business basics here, like give people what they want, right? And so it's interesting. 
and we'll go on this little tangent here, uh, when clients come to me and they say, I want to work on like career stuff and career development and making more money and negotiating pay and things like that, one of the first things I always have them do is go back to, you know, or like it'll be like communicate your worth. And one of the things I always have them go back and do is like re-review your resume. What have you done? What have you done? What are the results that you have created? Because those are facts. That's evidence. That's not something you got to feel. That's something that you have to send. Like you got to allow yourself to experience the confident sensation of the result you created. Allow yourself to be impressed with yourself. Imagine the feeling of success of just like relishing and savoring the results and you will feel more confident. And they always do. And they always come back and they tell me, I got more money. And I'm like, shocking. <laughs> you guess what? It's not because you suddenly felt more confident, but it's because you tapped back into knowingness. It's because you tapped into certainty. It's because you tapped into conviction. So long story short, that's the purpose of this episode, which is really, I mean, I feel like we've already jumped in. <laughs> 100% feel like we've already jumped in. Uh, here's what I will add to that. Uh, so power, real power, is not circumstantial. And it's, it's, it's not confidence. It's not just a fleeting feeling of like, I can do something, right? Because we have feelings, we have bodily sensations because they are supposed to prompt us to take action. When you feel the sensation of something being too hot, you have a bodily physical reaction to jump back. And that's right. That's that's biology. That's just how you're wired. So all feeling is generated through the course of our minds and our minds interpretation of what's in front of us in order to prompt a specific reaction. And that's just like from thousands and thousands of years ago as primitive beings, right? You feel a sensation of fear and that fear is supposed to produce the action of you running or fighting. And that's biology. And so whether we're talking about fear or something that's too hot or something like confidence, all feeling exists in order to get you to take it action, right? So people are like, I'm a logical, rational being. And then I kind of say this jokingly because I used to really actually believe this was true about myself. I'm a logical, rational being. Of course, I'm making my decisions by logic. No, sugar plum, sweetheart, love bug. You're, you're not. You're absolutely 100% making the decision based on how you feel, whether you can recognize it or not, because your feeling, your emotional state is prompting you to act or not act. And that's just kind of how it rolls. It's how it goes. So powerlessness, if you are in my world and we are on this journey together, this journey of life <laughs> in some way, form or fashion, my goal, my intention is going to be to talk you back into your power, to remind you who you are, to just point you back in the direction of what is true. And so as it relates to divorce and relationships, I began to, I'm in the process, right, of working on a new offering, a new way to work with me. And um, specifically, it's around just resilience. And how do you pick yourself back up after 
life's kind of WTF moments, right? Because we we all know life it's going to do its thing. It's going to catch you by surprise. It's going to like catch you off guard. You're going to go after something, something you really want. And, you know, life is going to kick you in the teeth. Like someone's going to die. Someone is going to exit your life. You're going to have a career setback. You're going to have a relationship breakup. You're going to have struggles and challenges and obstacles and you are going to wonder right, what you've done wrong. (laughs) You're going to wonder, how did I get myself here? What did I do to deserve this? Like these are, I mean, surely I can't be the only one who sometimes thinks these thoughts. And what I have found is that in your quest to create your version of the dream life, right, whatever that looks like for you, it's going to require your badassery. It's going to require your power. It's going to require you being certain and capable and as much as I hate to admit it, you know, some degree of feeling confident, you know, because we understand confidence really is just a feeling. It's just a sensation. More importantly than feeling confident, it's knowing how to conjure up the feeling of confidence, which I think we've kind of covered. Uh, but it's you being able to take a punch, right? Can you stand in the ring of life and like kind of go to battle for your dreams and for the thing that you really want and like take a take a blow? Can you take a hit? You know, uh, my dad would say, can you take a hit? You know, can you take a licking and keep on ticking? You know, like, can you keep going? And that's the muscle of resilience. And I consider uh, resilience a self-advocacy skill. I consider resilience a leadership skill. I consider resilience a skill. It's not something that you have or you don't have. And so I started to really meditate on some of the different occurrences for me where I have like really built the muscle of resilience and you know obviously divorce is a big part of that right like you marry someone and you think yeah okay we're gonna do this thing we're gonna be in this thing for life and then 15 years of relationship goes by nine years of marriage and it's like oh we're not doing this thing for life okay uh (laughs) what do we do now right you you are on the other side of it and you're asking the question now what and what I know and, and the question that I've gotten asked is like how did you do it and not be like this angry, bitter, divorced woman, like that kind of stereotypical, I hate men now uh, because I've been hurt and all the things. And how is it that you, like you just seem better and better and better. Like you just seem to be thriving, which I am. (laughs) That is not a joke. Uh, When I show up, in life and I say that I am doing well like it's it's and not even I don't even say that I'm doing well people usually just will say like I don't know something's different with you uh and let's be real I've been in a hermit era and I'm exiting said hermit era uh but very much I get the question like how did you do so well after your divorce and so wanted to use that as a context for kind of talking about resilience and Um, As I was in meditation this morning, something came through that I'd never put it together this way before. And like, it was mind boggling, truly, truly mind boggling. And I think it can be just a really useful perspective to understand how I was able to not even just like navigate life on the other side, 
but also just like making the decision to walk away and feeling like, okay, I'm in my power as I do this thing. And so here's the thought that came to me this morning. And it was this good girl conditioning leads to good wife syndrome. And I'm going to break this down for you. And I'm looking here at my notes because obviously as this was coming through, I jotted down everything that I could as it was coming through. And so I just, you know, I'm sharing this conversation with you and it's real and it's fresh and it's raw. Um, But here's what I know for sure. We have all been conditioned into like, quote unquote, good girls, right? Be quiet, be nice, be kind. Like that's how we were socialized to operate as, as women. And in that context, like it's like, people pleasing and perfectionism and performance and and it like creates this whole like persona right this way that we end up showing up in the world where we are often you know kind of not telling the truth not saying the things that need to be said afraid to speak up afraid to use our voice afraid to ask for what we want afraid to ask for what we need over-functioning, smothering, mothering, uh, you know, have flimsy, weak boundaries because we're afraid, right? We end up self-abandoning and putting ourselves at the very bottom of the list if we're even on the list at all, right? And that's what good girl conditioning does. That's how it teaches you to be. And if you take that good girl conditioning into a marriage, right? And in my my case, I grew up in addition to good girl conditioning in a very conservative, high demand religion. And the narrative around women and being a wife and just like kind of what that should look like was not particularly empowering and not particularly um, supportive of like you communicating your needs, communicating your desires, communicating like what you want to do and how you want to be and how you want to roll and what you really need from a partnership. Like that's not the, that's not the predominant teaching. At least it it wasn't, perhaps something has changed, right? That was not the predominant teaching for me. And so that was my context, right? You grow up in this society with this patriarchal programming, the social conditioning to be a good girl, and then this uber conservative religious upbringing. And so it created this this scenario where I was going into my marriage and treating my husband in a way where like I felt uh, my obligation, my duty was to just kind of tolerate things and to not really speak up for myself and to just kind of settle and to kind of hope and pray. And it's not that I didn't ever say anything. Typically what would happen in my case is like I would like hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, like a little pressure cooker and then eventually I would explode and then that generally wouldn't go over that well. And so then it would just be this kind of bad cyclical cycle where sometimes things would change and sometimes they wouldn't and and it was just frustrating, right, on both ends. Uh, So good girl conditioning though creates the good wife the good wife smiles. The good wife is like, okay, I'm here showing up. I'm doing all the things. I'm kind of exhausted and I'm kind of frustrated, but I'm doing it anyway because that's what the good wife would do. And you might be thinking, yeah, (laughs) been there, done that, totally like got the t-shirt to prove it um, and would like to not be there and not do that. And so the question is, it's like, even if you can recognize that within yourself, like why, why, why do you do it? 
And what I found to be true for me, and that's really what started to come through today, is the recognition of, oh, as long as I was playing the role of good wife, I could hold that suffering up as badge of honor, right? If I'm tolerating like BS in my relationship and other people know it and they're like, oh, I could never... I could never tolerate that. You're doing good work, right? You're in the Christian context. You're getting more jewels in your crown, you know? <laughs> You're getting validation. You're getting sympathy. People are acknowledging you, and that feels good. And so, of course, you hang on to this narrative of like, yeah, I'm kind of the victim here. And, you know, it's it's interesting because I think of me, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I would not have been able to hear this conversation without being highly triggered and highly activated and justifying my position. And yes, um, the fact of the matter is uh, my ex-husband did do a lot of things wrong. He did. He made a lot of bad choices and choices that impacted me and my quality of life. And so I could have been consistently and for a long time was pointing to those things and like being in major blame about why I was unhappy and why I was frustrated and why my life wasn't looking the way that I wanted it to look. And at the end of the day, I was in victim mode. And as long as I was holding on to that identity, that victim mentality, and and being able to, to like grab a hold of that, I had no power. I was fully and completely powerless to cause transformation. When I was unwilling to accept responsibility, when I was unwilling to look at what my role in this scenario was, then I had no power. I could do nothing. So when somebody says, how did you like get to the point where you could make a, you know, an exit from the relationship and do it from a good place and then thrive after divorce on the other side, it started with elevating myself from victim to co-creator. I am a co-creator in this relationship. I'm co-creating all of these results. I'm an active participant. Now, yes, Marriage and relationships, all relationships are a group project. So you are not solely responsible. However, if you and somebody else are in a relationship, like, man, girlfriend, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's on you. It is on you. So I had to be willing to give up that identity of victim and say, okay, I'm co-creating this. And here's the value in being able to do that. When you give up like the victimhood identity, when you relinquish that, you open yourself up to responsibility, which is, in my opinion, the bridge, it's the portal, it's, it's the pathway back into your power because now you're in a position to make a change. Now you're in a position to influence outcomes. Now you're in a position to change results. And that's how it happened for me. And, you know, I've, I've shared this story many times in many different places. December of 2015, it's the day after Christmas. I'm looking at the Christmas tree. You know, I think I've, I'm on my second glass of Cabernet. The tree still has Christmas gifts underneath because my ex and I had gotten into a fight on Christmas and we still hadn't opened the Christmas gifts. And I'm like, I love Christmas. It's like my favorite time of the year. And I'm one of those annoying people who like matches Christmas tree to wrapping paper and all the things. And I'm frustrated because man, it looks like life should be magical. 
I'm in a well-paying job. Like I'm, I make well over six figures. I got money in the bank. I've got a trip to Mexico in, in a few months. Like it's on the books. And I, I'm, I'm finally feeling like, okay, my career is back on track after a big setback. And I'm on the outside man, this really looks like this, sh- like things should be working and they are not. And that's when I, I just, I had a moment. I was watching a Hallmark movie and I was like, this, like my life does not feel magical. And what, what can be done? What can be done about it? And I just, I had that moment, that moment of reckoning of like, I got to get out of blame. I got to get out of victimhood. I got to get out of like, where I've been assigning responsibility to someone else. And I have to point the finger back at me and say, if something is going to be different, if some sort of transformation is going to occur, it's going to happen because I do something about it. I I can't keep outsourcing and waiting, right? I can't expect him to be different. I can't expect God to somehow miraculously intervene. Like for a long time, I thought, God, I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to hope something occurs so that this situational dynamic changes. Guess what? It did not change. It didn't change. And so I made the commitment to myself. We are going to figure this out. You're going to figure out how you can be good with you. So that's step number one, right? You've got to make a commitment to break up with the victimhood identity. You've got to do that. And you have to set an intention. You have to set yourself in a direction. And let me tell you this, setting intention does so much of the work for you. Because once you set a North Star, once you establish this is what I want and this is where I'm going, and you point your focus daily towards reaching that outcome, and you stack behaviors and you sequence together the right series of behaviors and the right series of thoughts and the right series of beliefs, it becomes impossible not to reach your desired outcome. And that's with anything. So I set an intention in 2016 and I I changed my Facebook. I I barely use Facebook now. It's all automatic and it's Instagram posts that just go there all on their own. And My year, my word for 2016 was joy. And I made my commitment was just to chase joy. I said, you know what? No matter what happens in this marriage, I'm going to be the happiest that I've ever been. And I made that my goal. And every decision that I made in 2016 had to do with me chasing joy and me doing what I knew to do to be happy, which looked like stepping out of my comfort zone, I'm saying yes to a lot of things I may have said no to previously, you know, and a lot of creating new experiences, deepening friendships. I went to more concerts. I did more travel. I did more hikes. I did more walks. I did more girls' nights. I did um, more like just activities. I just got out and lived my life. Things that I did not need a partner to do. Like it wasn't a prerequisite that he was on board with me going and getting happier. And so... When I freed myself from that victim identity, took responsibility, set an intention, pointed myself in the direction of the intention, it was, it was easier to start feeling happier. It was so much easier to start feeling like, oh, okay, I'm living, I'm living the life that I should be living. I'm living the life that's more in alignment with what I actually desire. And so when it comes to like, 
it just, man, I just want to like, ah, I want to give it to you how I got it. Like, I just want to say so much. Like if I were sitting with you in a room, face to face, eye to eye, and this is hard to say in the sense of like, I know what it is to be in the middle of a shitstorm and feel like I'm not responsible for this. And here, here's what I can say. And, and this is what I didn't say earlier. Um, there's so much in life that isn't your fault. Like, it's not your fault that you were born into a patriarchal society. It's not your fault that you were conditioned to people, please. It's not your fault if you were born into a religious construct that you know, made it seem like the acceptable way, the path was to prioritize, you know, your partner's needs over your own and and conditioned you to operate that way. That was programmed into you. And it is also your responsibility to install a different way of being, a way of being that supports you in creating the life that you want to create. And so when it comes to like stepping into your power, like that's it. Like, that's what you got to do. And I did that before the divorce, right? And I think that's so central. There's a lot of people who go and they get a divorce because they're running from a crappy relationship. And I know that sometimes that's inevitable. Sometimes you, you can't help but to do that. And my situation was different in the fact that I got really, really happy. And then I got divorced. Like, I uh, made it my goal, like I said, to chase joy. And I did that for all of 2016. And in the midst... <laughs> The funny thing is, is in the midst of, of me saying I'm going to be happier than I've ever been. At first, my ex was like, I'm on the fence. I don't know if I still want to be married, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, whatever, whatever you decide, I can roll with it because I could be happy with you and I could be happy without you. So what are we going to do here? So I am on this merry-go-round with him and he's like, yeah, Whew, okay, nope, that was dumb. I shouldn't have said that. I think I'm having a moment, you know. Things get better with us. We travel some. We take a long vacation to Mexico. You know, I think everyone has done that in a relationship, right? When, like, the relationship is on the rocks and you take a vacation and, like, it fixes it for, like, a hot minute. And then you realize, oh, yeah, that was, like, a Band-Aid over a bullet wound. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And so either way, though, I was super happy. And in Grey's Anatomy, they have this saying, Richard Weber says, like, if you want someone to run a four minute mile, you don't chase them. You don't give them something to run from. You give them something to run to. And so in my case, as it relates to divorce, when I decided that it was time to make the exit and walk away from the relationship because he couldn't make up his mind. And I was like, oh, bro, it's been a year. I'm getting off this ride. Uh... I was running to something. I wasn't hastily trying to exit this unhappy place, right? I had pulled myself out of victim narrative. I had pulled myself out of the construct of I'm the victim, he's the villain, and I need God to save us. I'd opted out of that completely and just said, no, no, I am a liberated, powerful woman who has agency and I'm going to make some different choices. And as a result of my different choices and this intention, I'm going to experience a different outcome. And so that's what I would want to encourage you with if you're like in a situation in a relationship and you're like, wow, this isn't really what I wanted it to be. And I'm thinking it might be time to exit. Like get happy first. Orient yourself first. Become your own mountain. Ground yourself. Anchor yourself. Pour into yourself. Nourish yourself. And Make the decision 
from a secure, stable place. So when I left the relationship, I wasn't wobbly and I wasn't flaky, despite it being in the midst of the worst time in my life. Because 2017 was the year that my dad went into the hospital and never went home, battling cancer. And like, it was the worst time in my life. And I, I felt comfortable exiting a 15-year relationship and a nine-year marriage, despite being in such a challenging situation. And I was only able to do that because I was so in my power. And I was so in my power because I had released the narrative of I'm a victim to this. And I had taken responsibility for the things that I could take responsibility for and started making different choices. And that different choice led me to different results. And so here's my thought for you today as we're kind of, I don't know, I'm looking at my notes. Are we, are we wrapping up here? I feel like there's so much more in this conversation that I could share specifically as it relates to like victim, villain, savior energy. But I want to move on to a couple of other things as it relates to like, you're on the other side, you're in the divorce process. And the question that you're asking yourself before you go to bed at night is now what? I'm here. Now what? What do I do? And so, yes, got to release victim narrative. I'm not a victim to this. I'm elevated to a co-creator. I got some responsibility here. And I want to say that you can accept responsibility without being an asshole to yourself. You can accept responsibility without like judging yourself harshly, right? Because the conditions of your life were what they were, created what they created, caused you to be who you were. And so that means there's no way for it to be different. There's no way that anything could have worked out differently. And so you can be kind to yourself. I I use this example and I heard it from um, Andrea Crowder. It's such a great example. And she says, you know, if a 150-year-old tree is standing in someone's backyard and it's been there for years and years and years and years and years and no one knows that it's rotting on the inside because it looks like it's doing okay on the outside, but on the inside it's eroding. And then a massive rain and windstorm comes and it hits the tree at the exact precise place of vulnerability in the tree and the tree collapses and hits a house. And you are like, oh my God, I should have known that the tree was going to hit the house. How could I have not known it? And you're beating yourself up because of the outcome. It's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> this would have happened anyway. Like it couldn't have happened any other way. Scientifically, the wind blew at the exact right speed. The rain occurred at the exact right moment. The tree was hit at the, you know, with the wind in the exact right spot where it was most vulnerable it had to fall over there was no way to predict that's you know that that's what was going to happen at that exact moment but there's also no way to change it just like for you all of the circumstances leading up to where you're at right now like it it had to happen exactly the way that it did there's just no way for it to be different Right. There are things that happen all the time in the world in, you know, that we look at through a scientific lens and we're like, oh, gosh, there's no other way that could have been different. Your life is the same. And so for me, that's one of the reasons why I don't have anger and I don't have regret and I don't have like 
this overwhelming grief of like, I wish things could have been different or I, I got to do all this active work to forgive. Forgive what? It could not have happened any other way. It could not have looked any different. My pe- it, it, There's just no way. Not my upbringing, not his upbringing, not the religious dynamic we were in. It, 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 it had to happen exactly the way that it did. So what would I be what would I be forgiving? What would I be trying to make peace with? Like, it's just, that's reality. That just is what happened, right? And I hope that perspective can be useful because I think sometimes we suffer because we're trying to like anticipate something being different in our past or anticipate what it could have been if things hadn't happened the way that they did. And it's just, it's an unuseful train of thought to get stuck there and be thinking, well, what if that didn't happen? Well, what if this, it had to happen. It had to happen exactly the way that it did. So that I hope can be helpful, right? The other, some other things, other things that like in terms of like resilience, right? And just being in your power post-divorce is I have a core belief and I'm going to encourage you to adopt said core belief. And it is this, my life gets to be good. My life gets to be good. I have a core belief, a certainty that my life is going to be good. It's going to work out. It's always working out. It's always coming together. It's always adding up. This is my truth. This is what I am certain of. So no matter what, no matter who goes and who comes and what what occurs, no matter what, I know that life is going to be good. So I have that as a foundational belief. And so even in the midst of something challenging and even in the midst of something difficult, I stand on this certainty of it's just raining in paradise. <laughs> and and it's paradise because you woke up this morning. You woke up this morning, blood is flowing through your body. You got oxygen. You can like go out into the world and exist and be a human. Everything else is extra, truly. And so my philosophy around it's, it's raining in paradise, feel free to borrow that, uh, came from a trip to Puerto Rico, which you guys know I love, and feel like maybe one day, even partial, I don't know if I would ever live there full time, but I could see owning property there and, and visiting on the regular because I love it so much. Um, but I was in Puerto Rico with my aunt and cousins and a family friend, and we were in the pool at our resort, you know, the pool's on the beach and it's overlooking the ocean. And like, you know, it's, I don't know, one, two o'clock in the afternoon and we're sipping on margaritas and mojitos and life is great. And you're in the pool and then it starts raining and people are like jetting out of the pool, like hysterical, like, oh my God, like screaming, like freaking out. And I'm like, people need to chill. It is literally just raining in paradise. Like it's gorgeous. It is stunning. The rain is going to pass in 10 or 15 minutes, which it did, and we're going to be back to having a good time. And so that's my philosophy in life. In the midst of hardship, I'm like, man, it's just raining in paradise. (laughs) Feel free to borrow that. So I have a core belief that life gets to be good, that no matter what, things are working out for me, even when I can't see them even when I'm not totally sure how it's going to sort itself out or come together, I have that belief and I have that expectation. And so I look for, I, I intentionally notice like how things are actually working out in my favor, right? And so kind of with that is just like surrender and holding on loosely, 
because I have that belief that everything works out, I don't worry about whether or not I'll find my next partner, my next long-term companion. You know, I don't worry about people in relationships making their exit and not being here. I've resolved that like the people who were supposed to be here for my journey are going to be, period. You know, and so that's like surrender. That's saying, you know what? I trust, I trust God, I trust life. I trust that the people that are meant to be here will be here. And so that is another thought. It's another idea that I kind of lean into that bolsters resilience and and allows me to like move forward and thrive because I'm not thinking, oh man, this person has exited my experience and and now I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know who's going to be my life partner now. (laughs) It's just like, no, the the right person is going to come along. I'm going to be in the right place. They're going to be in the right place. And it's just going to, man, it's going to sort itself out. So not a lot of worry around that. The other thing I would say is uh, riding the emotional waves and honoring your feelings. So as we know, and as we have discussed many times before, uh, I'm not a big crier. It's just not something I love. I mean, I'll I'll do it. I'm not resistant to it post-2017 as I was previously. Uh, but it's definitely still not, it's not a hot time. Uh, but I do, I, I encourage you to, to like surrender into the feeling, let yourself be with yourself without judgment. Just let the feelings be there. Uh, and, and here's what I'll, I'll kind of add to that with the being with your feelings. It's for me often, if I am sad or frustrated or worried or angry, I got to turn into them. Much like I mentioned earlier about my, my irrational, visceral reaction to confidence being anger, and I had to turn into the anger and look at it and say, okay, what are you trying to teach me? I do that with all feelings, like turn towards it and ask it, okay, what are you trying to show me here, right? And typically it's connected to some limiting idea, some story that I have been programmed to believe that makes it feel like what I want isn't possible. That leads to frustration. That leads to sadness. That leads to the feeling of disappointment. That leads to fear. And so it's a matter of like turning towards the feeling, identifying the story behind it, you know, throwing that story up on a proverbial chalkboard, taking a step back and reappraising it and just saying like, is this ultimately true? Is this really like is this accurate? And, and, and it's usually not. And so that's then your opportunity to install a different belief, to notice it and witness it and, and choose actively to see something different, right? And so uh, from there, it's like, okay, circling back to that intention of like, this is what I want and this is the direction I'm going in. And now what do I do next? And my philosophy on what do you do next? Sometimes you know, sometimes you're like, yes, 100%, this is the thing to do next. And other times you're like, well, I'm not really sure. And always, my belief is that guidance is always available. So hand on heart, eyes closed, I just say, I'm willing to see this differently. Like, I'm willing to be guided. What, what's my next step? What is my next move? And I just pray that super simple prayer 
guidance always comes. It always comes. And if for some reason you don't feel like you get a very specific answer, because that is a, a muscle too, right? Listening to yourself, trusting your knower, trusting your intuition, trusting your gut, like that is a skill. It's a practice that you build over time. Um, then take the action that you feel like I would be glad to have done this, right? If I were to fast forward three months, six months, a year, five years down the road, I will be glad to have done this, right? One of the questions that I repeatedly asked myself in 2017 and 2018 and just in that process of divorce and separation and all the things was, will future Ashley be proud of this decision? Will future Ashley be good with this choice? Will future Ashley be proud of what I'm doing here right now in this moment? And so if I thought if I were to fast forward and reflect on what's happening now and I would be good with it, then that was a no-brainer. <laughs> then it was a no-brainer. Uh, that's what I. That's the decision that I made. And that still is a guiding light for me today. So I hope this podcast episode was useful for you. If you're like, yeah, this totally resonated, watch the space. I'm coming up with a new offering all around resilience and not specifically resilience after divorce, but just in general, how do you tackle and how do you handle like life after the kind of WTF moments, those moments that leave you like face down on the ground and you're like, okay, it didn't kill me, but what do I do next? Like it, it, you know, I'm not to the, it didn't kill me, but it made me stronger yet. How do I get to the stronger part of the song? <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a Kelly Clarkson song that says, what doesn't kill me makes you stronger. Uh, I'm not a singer. Uh, so anyway, um, I hope you have a great rest of the day. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend, leave a review, hit me up on IG at Ashley Morgan live and let me know that you enjoyed the episode. And also if you're like, okay, girl, I totally need help uh, in this area. And I would love to work with you, coach with you, have you support me as I'm in this process of like connecting back into my power, you know, building more confidence, feeling uh, more capable and becoming more resilient in life and in work. Um, would love to work with you. Uh, I have single sessions that are available. We're recording this at the end of July. I do think that the single sessions are going to be coming to an end soon, uh, just over the next little bit here, just how things are changing in my business over the next six months. So um, they are still available now. Um, but then also there is a six month and nine month coaching package because in my world, trans we're, we're honest about the fact that like, just like a six week boot camp is not going to fix a hundred pounds of like weight that you have to lose, uh, if you desire to do that, uh, you know, a six week boot camp isn't going to do that for you. Like transformation, lasting, sustainable transformation and being able to see and feel and experience the results of, of meaningful change. It takes time. So um, six or nine months coaching packages also available. And I look forward to connecting with you. Bye for now.